This is episode 49 of the Evolve Marriage Podcast. Today we're talking to Dr. Jolie Hamilton, all about agreements and boundaries. Dr. Jolie Hamilton is a relationship coach for couples who color outside the lines. She is a research psychologist, TEDx speaker, and ASEC certified sex educator. Jolie is also the author of the best-selling book, Project Relationship, The Entrepreneur's Action Plan for a Passionate, Sustainable Love, and host of the Project Relationship podcast with her husband. So I hope you love this conversation. It was so insightful for me and I got a lot of stuff out of it. So I hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Kate. I'm a fierce mom and teacher. And this is Eric, her lucky husband and certified relationship coach. And this is the Evolve Marriage Podcast. Where we have fun with growth and connection. Thanks for being here. Here we go. All right. So welcome Dr. Jolie Hamilton to the Evolve Marriage Podcast. It's an honor to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. This is a total pleasure. Talking about relationships is my favorite thing in the whole world. I love it. I love it. Me too. And I love where the conversation is going. Um, I saw your TEDx talk, which was so powerful. I got a lot out of it. And today we're really going to dive into this idea of agreements in a relationship. You know, what drives the need for agreements? Uh, What does a healthy or unhealthy agreement look like to really navigate this conversation, which I think a lot of couples are trying to have. But before I jump into that, I actually want to know, you know, what's a skill that you're currently building? What's something, an area of growth that you're focused on in your own life? I love that you ask that because it is easy to forget that just because I've achieved some level of expertise in one area, boy, is there a lot of room for growth. Something I'm working on right now is actually slowing myself down a little bit. I'm working on really being, getting really seriously patient. And that means trying a lot of different stuff. I'm having to intentionally take up some hobbies that are really hard for me to practice slowing down and just enjoying being in the process. It's probably the hardest thing I've taken on since my doctorate. Wow. I don't like to slow down. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate. And you know, this experience of falling in love with learning can sometimes be challenging, right? Especially in our society. For me, I'm a high achiever, just like you, like this idea of constantly knocking down success after success um, while can be validating in the short term, I think long term to live a fulfilling life uh, can be dysfunctional sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And isn't that exactly the the problem that can happen when we over focus on achievement? And oh, I don't know about you, but I want to make sure I live this life, not just achieve it. Yeah, I absolutely love that message. So I know you talk a lot on the topics of not only monogamy, but jealousy and agreements. And this really sparked my interest because, you know, Kate and I, my wife and I have been married, we've been together about 18 years. And there was a time when I was really trying to drive agreement and I didn't realize it at the time, but unconsciously what I was doing was trying to create safety for myself. So I was constantly trying to convince Kate of something, get her to do something so we could agree so that I could prevent that idea in the future of her saying, you know, well, hey, you did it wrong. And I'm like, actually, it's not on me. You know, we made this agreement. So this is not my problem. I'm not bad. This kind of unconscious message within me that I was trying to avoid. So I would love your idea about, you know, talking maybe broadly about agreements, uh, how they serve marriages, how sometimes it can be dysfunctional in marriages. But maybe more than anything, the opening question is what drives our need to find agreement in our closest relationships? Oh, wow. Okay. I do love, I love the the whole concept of agreements. And I'm really interested in the fact that you are self-aware enough to have recognized that agreement has its own shadow side. So I studied Jungian psychology, which means I take the shadow very seriously. I take the unconscious motivations very seriously. 
And often when we're talking about something like agreements, it has just this positive golden light around it as if all agreements would be good, but recognizing its shadow, recognizing how you could be using agreements to manipulate someone, you could use agreements to find safety and therefore never actually get to the messy stuff that comes with depth of connection. That is most likely the biggest game changer for people who, who do their, their work, they do their emotional work, right? So they get to a spot where I can have conversations about agreements with my partner. And yet without questioning ourselves and, and becoming aware that we have motivations that we don't want to admit all of us do, we are going to leave stuff on the table. We're going to leave a whole bunch of love actually and acceptance, true acceptance on the table. When I think about agreements, I instantly go to simplification. Like what, what we tend to want in agreements is we want to simplify something. We're looking to get exactly what you just said, that safety, that imagined security. But the truth is there is no agreement that can protect you from the reality that life is complicated. We can't ask agreements to hold up an unfair, you know, desire to, to live forever or to never experience pain or to have our partner be exactly who we need them to be rather than be themselves. When I think about agreements and I consider what I want to do to create one, I try to shift my mind back to a space where I can let them be complicated and flexible and based on values rather than based on a rigid set of rules. Yeah, I love that. And especially this idea where you mentioned values. I think now where Kate and I have been and we've evolved, we talked to a lot of couples, we often encourage them to make agreements that serve the big picture or, you know, in our case, serve the marriage. And I often think that, at least for me, way back when, I was trying to make agreements because I really had a hard time asking clearly for what I wanted. Doing a bid for connection, asking for what I wanted, knowing that my wife, Kate, has the freedom to refuse it that can hurt sometimes. You know what I mean? If I wasn't in a, in a healthy place, I would often make it mean something about me, which was driving this need to try to get my wife to agree without actually expressing what I wanted. And I find a lot of couples do this. We use society to justify our beliefs. We're constantly trying to throw evidence as to why our spouse needs to act a certain way. And at its core, what I see it as is it's a bid for connection that, you know, at the time I was too scared to ask for. Hey, I yeah. want to spend time with you. And instead of asking that and inviting my wife to do that with me, I was, hey, we need to agree on the schedule to put a date night and it has to be regular because that's what healthy marriages do. So I guess foundationally, how do you differentiate making an agreement from a place of I'm trying to get my needs met in this kind of manipulative way, you know, and making a healthy agreement for, hey, actually, this serves on my marriage and it will actually help our growth, not only as individuals, but as a couple. How do you differentiate that? Well, there's a great self-check you can do. When you're making an agreement, if you find yourself hoping that the agreement will be fixed, right? Like, okay, it's done. We've got this figured out. As soon as you hear those kinds of fixed mindset messages running through your mind, there's a red flag for yourself, not even for the actual material of the agreement, but like, oh, wait, what's my motivation here? Am I looking for this unachievable state of perfection and we'll have figured this out and our relationship will be, the, it will be safe for me? Or 
Am I looking to make an agreement that actually serves to create space for my partner and I both to grow, to change, but also to be able to, you know, run a household together, have a life together, you know? So this is where bringing some awareness to your, your reasons for asking for the agreement is a really great first step because the agreement is going to happen between the two people. But a lot of times the thing we forget to do is, okay, let's say we're going to make an agreement. We clarify what we want. So we get clear about what it is we want. And then we figure out how we're going to ask for it. So we bring that want to our partner and we, and we ask for it. But what we forget is the secret third step, which is, and if they give me a no or a maybe or a not yet, how can I get this need or this want met myself? How can I do this? Because almost everything in life is bigger than can my partner do this thing for me? I mean, we could pick up our dry cleaning for ourselves, but we could also love ourselves, create space for ourselves, figure out how to feel loved. Like that's all inner work we can do too. So when I've identified that, that agreement I want to make and I bring that, I make that bid for what I want with my partner. If I've taken a moment to imagine a way I can meet that need in a way that abides by my fidelity agreements and is honorable without my partner needing to be the one to fill it. Whoa, you've like total win-win. There is no way for anyone to lose here. You can come to that agreement knowing either they're in or they're a maybe or a no, and I'm going to be great either way because I have a path forward. You know, I love that you mentioned win-win because I think oftentimes when we approach agreements, uh, especially when we're thinking about us as individuals, we can often fall immediately into this negotiation, win-lose. It's like, okay, if I give into this agreement, what am I losing? Instead of this idea of, hey, we're actually moving together and this agreement can benefit our connection and create clarity for what we want and move us closer to the life we want to create, which I think is really powerful. Yeah. Too many of us were brought up to imagine, but not intentionally, nobody's parents meant to teach them this, but I know mine did accidentally taught me that love was a zero sum game. And that there were going to be winners and losers. There were going to be nights when it looked like dad won the argument and mom didn't and vice versa. And it's not always that they were arguments. It was just a general tone in the house. And it, it sort of, it influenced everything that happened in the house. And I see it happen with my clients all the time where they've fallen into a pattern of compromise being you get your way, then I get my way. You get your way. I get my way or they always meet in the middle and no one ever quote unquote gets their way. I like to think of it as how can I support my partner in getting their need met? Even if I'm the one that's not meeting it. Like if, if for instance, my partner is making a bid for more time with me and I don't know that I can make that time right now. What if I help him explore what he really wants from that time with me? Is he feeling lonely? Maybe he actually needs time with his friends. Is he feeling disconnected from me? Oh, maybe we're not having those really deep moments of connection, which isn't about the length of time, but about how deep we drop into it. So if I can do that with him, if I can explore with him what his need is, and he can come to the party ready to have that need met in a multitude of ways rather than just the one he's imagined, we really can create win-win solutions. I love so much that you mentioned this because I think curiosity is such an important piece that we often forget about. 
I think so, so many relationships, what happens is the partner approaches the other, asks for something, says something, goes for an agreement, and the other partner just provides it to kind of get, get this off the plate. You know what I mean? So exactly like, you spend more time together. Great. Next Wednesday, you want a date? Great. Awesome. Cool. We make the agreement. But then what we realize is we go through that date and there's still this feeling of unfulfillment. And that's something that Kate and I often encourage couples, and we do even in our own marriages, get clear about exactly what will this provide for you, right? Exactly as you're saying in terms of, so we want to spend more time together. What would us spending more time together do for your life? What would it provide? Well, I miss you and, and I, I actually want to have more fun together. Oh, now this is a different conversation because it's not about quantity. It's about fun. And so I really think the curiosity piece is so important. And based on us, again, talking about achievement, like we did at the beginning, right? We're all about checking boxes. We're all about removing things off our plate. We can obsessively try to solve problems without really understanding what the need is. I mean, can you speak on that? I mean, how do we drive towards more curiosity without it feeling maybe like a like an interview or an interrogation sometimes? Yeah, well, the first step, I, this is brilliant because curiosity is probably the ingredient most accessible to us at all times that we will forget to use. So when I think about actually um, like deploying my curiosity, I have to do at least two things first. First, I need to drop my own defenses. And by defenses, I include um, my need to be right and already know what my partner is going to answer, my need to know them better than they know themselves, my need to protect my own feelings from getting, you know, I might get dinged with something they respond to. Just allow myself to be present to what their answer is today, because it might actually surprise me. And honestly, if it doesn't, why are we even doing this relationship thing? If my partner is going to be exactly the same every day forever, I'm in Groundhog's Day, the movie, not in my life. So if I drop my defenses and allow myself to be really present with my partner to who they are today, and then I actually phrase my questions as questions. This one, people miss it all the time. I, I have missed it myself many a time. And I'll even joke about how some people seem to have removed the question mark from their keyboard. There's like never actually an interrogatory, you know, move. So put a question mark and then shh, just let them respond. Those steps create the space that we need for curiosity to actually have some impact because we can be curious all we want in our in interiority. But if I get clear, ask an actual question and then I'm quiet enough to let them respond and they may need time. I know my own partner processes slower than I do. So I need to just let him have the time to think about his answer and then respond. If I do those things, my agreement is going to be built on the who we are today and mo and moving forward and more creativity. A hundred percent. And I love that you mentioned this idea of, you know, your partner and how they're a little more slower to respond because that's, that's Kate and I's relationship. And I think so, so much talking about, you know, zero sum game. And I found that, hey, if we're not going to end this and wrap up this conversation, I'm actually losing. So I was constantly driving to finish a conversation, not knowing that I was playing this, this infinite game, if you will, of, hey, big picture here. This is an ongoing conversation about our relationship through curiosity. So I, I agree. I was definitely shoot from the hip. And I think what was happening in our marriage a while ago is that I was actually getting conversations out of Kate and forcing her to respond, which was not authentic. And so that idea of creating space, which is so important, that's something I need to constantly remind myself of. 
not only when I get into conversations with people, but especially in my marriage, when things get heated and I'm looking for a response, I'm like, okay, I need to breathe here. I need to slow down. I need to create space. And it's possible that Kate might not even respond in this moment. This might take her a day to think about. Totally. And I think that's where one of the steps I ask people to do, um, you know, it comes right out of the Gottman's research, set a time to come back to the conversation. You can, both of you can have that win-win feel if you can create the space and then both just agree on a simple thing. You, you've won together if you agree to when you're going to come back to the conversation. You don't have to have an answer. You just say, can we pick this up again next Saturday? Cool. Send a calendar invite. <laughs> There's nothing better than knowing you're going to come back to this conversation with your partner, especially if they happen to be um, a different kind of processor. Uh, my partner's a feeling type. So he really does need a lot of time to process his feelings before he has those. So he can see that on the calendar and say, oh, oh, okay. That means I actually need to set aside another hour's worth of time to think about it. So he'll do it on a commute or on dropping the kids off at at something. He'll take some time to just intentionally think about it. This is a monumental game changer because now you've, you've scheduled time to have these agreement rebids for, for engagement, but you haven't forced anyone into giving you an answer they don't actually mean because they're trying to rush. Yeah, which in the end doesn't serve the relationship, right? Because right. it's not authentic and it's not real. I'm shifting gears a little bit, Julie. I, I would love to talk about the difference between boundaries and agreements because I, I work with a lot of men. And when we talk about boundaries, we think that it's, you know, okay, I'm going to tell somebody about my boundary And then it's up to them to stay in line. You know, I imagine this idea where there's red tape everywhere and the other person can't move as opposed to, you know, this idea that, Hey, it's actually up to me to uphold my boundary and for me to react if somebody oversteps. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what the difference is for you between boundaries and agreements and why we're so insistent on trying to get other people to understand and agree to our boundaries. Yeah. Well, let's address an elephant in the room, which is that the word boundaries is such a buzzword right now that um, people can use it a little defensively, a little reactively. Like I've said, a boundary can sort of be a get out of jail free card at this point. So I've become a little leery of over relying on that idea of I'm going to set a boundary because cool, but there's other stuff that goes into it. So I'm glad you're asking that that deeper layered question. One thing that I think we can use to differentiate between boundary setting and creating agreements is our boundaries are for us. They start within. And if you don't know what's true for you, if you don't know yourself deeply, then it's going to be really common that you find yourself setting a boundary that is like red tape. It's going to feel like something you, that if it's trod upon, you feel violated and it may be because you've actually set it too close. Maybe you haven't gotten really clear about what your boundaries are for yourself. And, and you're sort of setting up like, like really tight and inflexible boundaries that keep everyone on the outside. But another thing to notice is I see a lot of people setting boundaries in situ. So stuff starts happening and they say that violates my boundary or that's, that's against my boundary. But what they're really meaning is that They just discovered that they don't like something, that they have a boundary, and they discovered it real time. And now they're stating it as a boundary rather than talking about an agreement that they made previously and saying, hey, I have a boundary here. We have made this agreement about this boundary. 
And therefore, now we need to have a reconciliation. We need to deal with this. There's a difference. There, there are two different moves. If you discover a boundary because someone just ouched you, okay, first off, you just learned about yourself. So celebrate that. And now figure out how are you going to negotiate that boundary? And I mean, negotiate it yourself. What are you going to do? What self-care do you need right now to deal with the fact that that was an ouch? And how are you going to start framing this boundary so that it makes sense to your partner so that they understand how to observe it? Because often we'll just state a boundary, but we don't actually state the feeling or the thing that we're trying to get to be different for us. Instead, we talk about our partner's behavior. I need you to stop doing this. I need you to behave this way. That's actually not a boundary. If the sentence starts with, I need you, versus here's what I need. We're not co-creating an agreement. We're just making a pronouncement. Like we have a big stamp and we're like, here, this is our agreement. Our agreement is here. Here's where my boundary is. This is going to take some patience because most of us are just figuring this out. Most of us were not taught how to do this in a good way when we were young. If you're over the age of 20, I really doubt that this was part of the conversation. Unless you had those parents who were just really on the ball we weren't talking about this. It's okay not to know how, but it doesn't mean that your partner won't accidentally bump up against those boundaries. Yeah. And I think it's super important. You touched on a lot of things and I think it's super important to make those boundaries from a healthy place. Just like you're saying, right? Really looking within and saying in my solid self, what boundary do I want to set here? Because you're absolutely right. When you think about, hey, we're so new at setting boundaries, I think oftentimes we're just told that we have to be everything for everyone. We're in the society of people pleasers. You know, I used to be a nice guy, had a lot of these nice guy tendencies. So it was all about providing and serving everyone else. And I remember there was a time where literally setting a boundary for myself felt a little shameful where I was like, hey, you know, I, I shouldn't be preventing other people from asking questions. I shouldn't be preventing other people from just being in my life and opening up and saying exactly what they want. And what I realized is when I got really healthy and started to really think about my solid self and what was best for me, my relationships where I started to set boundaries actually grew healthier. You know, I can think of relationships where they were quite dysfunctional when I didn't have boundaries. And now that I have clear boundaries for myself, my relationships have thrived in those situations. And we don't always see that as like, hey, a boundary actually can not only serve us in a positive way, but can often improve the relationship. You know, Kate and I have a lot of boundaries in our marriage, not only around our conversations, but also around our sexuality. You know, one of the boundaries that I most commonly say is we have a boundary that when something doesn't feel good, I open up and say it, even if we're in the act of sex. You know what I mean? And it wasn't always the case before because I was always worried about what is Kate like? Is she okay? Is she enjoying this? But now there's freedom for me because Kate has the boundary for herself of, hey, when this doesn't feel good, I'm going to tell Eric. Right. I think you're 100% on point saying that there is no way to really know our partner if they are boundaryless because we're not really knowing them. We're sort of knowing a, we're knowing who they wish us to see them as. And that goes for us too. So like allowing your partner to know what feels good for you and what doesn't. And I think that the example of sex is perfect because I don't know anybody who hasn't at one point or another engaged in something that they're like, yeah, this doesn't really work for me. And yet that can easily become a pattern that goes on for decades. Most couples fall into a sexual pattern that then they repeat 
you know, just rinse and repeat. And there's what we do. And then we wonder why 15 or 17 years in, it's not working well. If you went back to the very beginning and thought about, was I sharing what felt good or didn't feel good? Was I sharing my boundaries? Was I sharing how I wanted to actually explore at the edges of my boundaries? Most of us would have to claim, no, we weren't doing that in those first few months. And what we set up in those early months is often the tone for the whole relationship. So simply listening to a podcast like this is an opportunity to say, whoa, I might have to revisit the whole thing because if I keep trying to be who I was when we were dating in those first few weeks and months, that doesn't even make any sense, but we're not consciously doing it. And sometimes we, we don't have a lot of flexibility in the agreements we make with ourselves. Even as you're talking, I think a lot of couples out there would be like, well, I can't change it now. I've been doing this for 10 years. I really think this idea of flexibility and kind of evolving is so important. There's the thing. Most of us didn't make agreements. We made implicit agreements. Most of us made implicit agreements right from the get-go. And those implicit agreements stand in for, for true agreements that were negotiated and understood to be flexible and evolving. So if you have any implicit agreements, just remember that the very fact that they were implicit, that you didn't overtly like have a conversation and really talk it through, just that is enough reason to say, hey, you know what? I'm realizing those things that we agreed to without actually talking about, those are all on the table. Let's talk it through. Let's have that real conversation because then even the stuff we keep exactly the same, we'll know we both agreed to it. We'll know we want this. And some of the stuff that you might think is drudgery right now becomes wonderful once you know that you're opting in rather than just shrugging and accepting. I absolutely love that. And it's such a great message. Julie, I could talk to you for hours. I feel like this conversation go on and on. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time. You know, I'd love to end it here. Where can people find you? I want to send people your way. I love what you do. I love your message. Where can people find you? Yeah, I would love to connect with people. The easiest way to get a hold of me is to go to listentojolie.com. It's just listen to Jolie, J-O-L-I, and grab my relationship guides because in there I have one that's designed to have exactly one of these conversations and it's about sex. It's the what is sex anyway conversation most of us didn't have at the beginning. It's a super fast, super easy way to really understand where you are with your partner and sexuality and pleasure now, even if in the past it was somewhere else. And the other thing that would be great is if people want to listen to this, this kind of discussion happening between a couple, my husband and I have a podcast called Project Relationship. It's really just us. I bring my doctoral studies and all my psychology and he brings himself and his vulnerability and shows up to the party and says, yeah, this is a work in progress. What are we going to do about it? And we just talk through relationship struggles exactly like this and what it means to really make agreements. So project relationship available anywhere. Amazing. We'll add all that in the show notes. We absolutely love your message, Kate and I. This has been an absolute pleasure, Jolie. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Eric. So that's it for us today. Thank you for being here and spending time with us. We know your time is valuable. You can support us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. For daily updates, you can check us out on Instagram at evolved underscore marriage. We also have our private Evolved Marriage Couples community on Facebook. If you and your spouse want to join other amazing couples continuously looking to grow in a way that's fun and connecting, you can join us there to get some support and share what's going on for you guys. We're looking forward to connecting with you next week. So until then, bye. Bye.